0: I never heard of that all until his autopsy came back. It was just something that does not happen to you. This is not something that happens to you. And we were just like, what? How? Why did he die? So that's why we did the autopsy. I wanted to make sure he didn't have a brain tumor or a cancer or something. So when it came back that that's what it was, that's when I started getting on the internet looking at something, found all these groups and realizing, oh, wow,
1: this is a pandemic. This is real. I'm Angela Kenneke, and this is Grieving Out Loud. Over the past couple of months, I've had the privilege of traveling to Washington, D.C., twice to raise awareness about our nation's fentanyl crisis, which is killing a record number of Americans. During my first visit, I met with some of the country's top leaders, including the U.S. drug czar, the director of the CDC, and the second gentleman, Douglas M. Hoff, who is married to Vice President Kamala Harris. On my second visit to the nation's capital, I joined hundreds of others who, like me, have experienced the devastating loss of a loved one due to illicit substances. Together, we rallied to send a powerful message to policymakers and the public. It's time to take action against fentanyl trafficking and the heartbreak it's causing. Today, I'll be sharing the stories of three remarkable individuals I met during the rally.
0: Yesterday, I went to the DEA Museum for the first time. I've seen pictures of them up there. They sent me a picture of them. But until I actually saw the museum, it took me to my knees. I went to my knees yesterday. The loss of a child
2: is abnormal. We don't bury our children. And here I am doing posters up my daughter and picking out coffins. Six months before our sister
0: passed away, we had a couple of very open and honest conversations.
1: Had you ever had conversations like that before? No. No, I
0: had spent a lot of years being angry at her,
1: demanding that she get help. And there are a lot of Americans who need help. According to the CDC's latest data, more than 111,000 Americans have died within the 12-month period ending in April. That equals 305 people every day. In fact, drugs are now the number one killer of Americans under the age of 50. In this episode of Grieving Out Loud, hear what these three women want changed in this country and the message they're urgently sending to others. Sharon, thank you so much for joining me here at the Lost Voices of Fentanyl rally in Washington, D.C. You may hear some background noise while we talk because we're in a very busy, crowded hotel where all of these parents are gathering. And Sharon, why are you here? Tell me why you came here.
0: I'm here for the cause, to fight fentanyl, to make awareness, to spread the word, to save other people's lives. I can't bring my son back, but I want to save other people's lives. Have you ever been to this
1: rally before? Yes, ma'am. You've come before? Yes,
0: I have. What's it been like? Oh, it's phenomenal. I mean, if you're a grieving mother, this helps so much to spread the word, spread the awareness. It brings us together only us know what it feels like. And we definitely don't want another mother or another father or another grandparent, brother, aunt, uncle, sister to feel the way that we feel. We want to stop this.
1: That's what I always say, too. I say if just one person is saved, I don't want anyone to feel this way after losing a child in this horrible way. Exactly. So one thing we all have in common here is that everybody here, and there are hundreds of us, have lost someone to fentanyl poisoning.
0: Exactly. In the last two years that I've been on Lost Voices of Fentanyl, there's 28,000 members, and that's just on one platform. There's many other platforms out there. Right. So that's just 28,000. So let's
1: talk about your story a little bit, your family's story, your son's story. Tell me a little bit about your son.
0: Sean was 39 years old, father of two. His son at the time was 18. His daughter was nine years old at the time. Sean had hurt his back, helping his dad lift the generator up after a hurricane was coming. And my husband took him to the hospital and they didn't do anything. And I understand why, you know, because opiate. And I really didn't want Sean to be on any of that stuff. And probably about seven days later, Sean reached out to someone, I don't know who, and got a Xanax so he could sleep because he wasn't sleeping. And he took it, went to bed and never woke up.
1: Sharon says her son's autopsy revealed that Sean died from fentanyl and heroin. It turns out that the pill Sean ingested wasn't actually Xanax. Sadly, this is becoming all too common of a story. As Emily's Hope has reported in our news headlines, the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration has issued a stark nationwide warning about the surge in deaths linked to counterfeit prescription pills laced with fentanyl. DEA lab analysis found that in 2022, six out of every 10 fentanyl-laced fake prescription pills contained potentially deadly doses. You can check out the latest news stories surrounding substance use disorder, America's drug crisis, and the government's response by heading over to our website, emilyshope.charity. We did have an autopsy done because...
0: We had no idea what he would have died from because he wasn't doing any drugs. So
1: we were just in shock. Did he have a history of using substances or was this an unusual situation?
0: Well, Sean did do marijuana, but he didn't do any hard drugs.
1: So he had been in pain.
0: He was in severe pain.
1: And reached out.
0: And he must have reached out to somebody. We just don't know who that person was.
1: The second woman we had the opportunity to talk with, Karen Patoki, shares a story that's strikingly similar, yet uniquely different from mine. In 2018, we both suffered the devastating losses of our daughters to fentanyl. But the paths that led to those losses were filled with unexpected twists and turns. Jenna was first of all my only
2: child. She was everything to me. I tried very hard to get pregnant surgery and i had this beautiful blonde hair beautiful blue eye gorgeous kid and i actually doted on her she went to the best of schools to the super athlete and everything she was a softball player that went to the world series i mean she had everything going for her she was just a great kid She's gorgeous inside and out
1: i can't see enough good things about my daughter However, in 2015, Jenna, a mother of three boys, faced a life-altering moment when she nearly died in a car crash. Unlike our first interview, doctors did prescribe her the prescription painkiller oxycodone. This marked the beginning of the 25-year-old's three-year battle three-year-old with substance use disorder. I'm sure she was in a lot of pain, right? She
2: was never stepping in the bed again, Stepping on the floor, so do you um, think she
1: needed the opioids?
2: She didn't need anything different. I didn't know anything different. You have to understand when you're living your everyday lives and you're going to work, you're doing the thing, she had children. I'm trying to help her with these children. And we're living our everyday lives. And all of a sudden she gets this terrific car wreck. They put her these opioids. Well, up they go, Yeah, that's pain killed. My kid's suffering. You know, what do you think? I can be honest with you. The day that I got the phone call that Jenna died, I've never even heard of Narcan. I never heard of fentanyl. I never heard of anything. I was in my la-la bubble land. Yeah. I worked full-time in technology. I had a great job. I had a beautiful home. She
1: went to private school. Every day, middle-class family. Right. So she's in this horrible accident yes. about three years before she died. Yes. And she becomes addicted to opioids. And then yes. did you know, no. did she move on to other substances?
2: She got addicted to opioids. And when they stopped giving them to her, I didn't know anything. Do you understand how?
1: You knew nothing? I knew nothing. Before her death?
2: Very little. I'll tell you about that. Probably about two months before she died, she came to me. I think she got scared. I think mean, she got a slight overdose, and she was scared. She came to me and says, "Mom, I want heroin." I almost dropped to the floor because first of all, I never thought in a million years my daughter would be on heroin. I mean, come on, it's a shock. I immediately called her father because I'm not married to her father now, and I said, "We need to get our, our daughter help. She's on heroin." He goes, "You've got to be kidding me!" I said, "I'm not kidding you. I knew she was acting differently, but I thought it was because of the pain.
1: I thought it was because of the opiate." Karen's response was swift. She wasted no time in arranging for her daughter's admission to a detox program. She was confident and hopeful it would work. Yet, just three weeks after her daughter returned home, Karen received the worst phone call of her life. I got the 4 o'clock a.m. phone
2: call saying, You have no pulse. She's conscious on the way to the hospital. Good house. The worst phone call mother could ever get or father. On the way to the hospital, no one sent a word. And I knew in my heart she was gone. And she was. She had died and still alive. And so when I got to the hospital, when the police shuffled me into the family room, I knew in my heart. Father of Jenna, looked at me I said, Jenna's gone. He goes, how can you say that? I said, because why are we with her? Be with her. You know, take a flight to her. I said, she's gone. And the funny thing about it is she doesn't register until they walk in with grief heavily, And they bring in a grief counselor. And they look at you. you go, we tried everything. Try everything we could try to keep her on. She's gone. And my ex-husband, the father, I never heard a man scream so loud. Scream out her name. Fall into the ground. And what I had a witness. I get that man off the ground. He saw his baby girl there. It's hard to accept. How do we accept something like this, you know? You have to. I think I'm gonna help my daughter. I'm gonna put her in detox, she's gonna come out, she's gonna be fine, the world's gonna be rosy. And she did come out. She did come out detox. Three weeks later, she was dead. On her Facebook page, 48 hours before she died, you can go right on and look at it. Jenna go look at it. She's saying, I've never been more happy in my life. I got my life together. I got my boys. Everything's wonderful. I'm completely sober. 48 hours later, she was dead.
1: And what did you learn caused her death? Fentanyl. 100% fentanyl. Have you lost a loved one to overdose or fentanyl poisoning? I'd like to invite you to share their story on our new Emily's Hope Memorial website called More Than Just a Number. They were our children, siblings, cousins, husbands, wives, aunts, uncles, and friends. So much more than just a number. You can submit a memorial today on more than just a deadly impact extends beyond parents mourning the loss of their children. It also deeply affects friends and other family members. During our interviews in Washington, D.C., we had the opportunity to speak with Sarah Link, who tragically lost her sister, Vanessa, to the potent drug. Vanessa's struggle with substance use disorder began after doctors prescribed her painkillers following gastric bypass surgery, marking a decades-long heart-wrenching journey of addiction. And how long had she struggled? 20, 25 years. 20 or 25 years. What was yes. it like to have an older sister um, who...
0: It was rough. It was rough on the entire...
1: You know, it destroyed a
0: lot of relationships. Uh, she struggled with for many years. And at a certain point, doctors cut her off and wouldn't prescribe them anymore. At that point, she turned in the street and started buying them off the streets. At some point, she was introduced to heroin.
1: This is a story that you hear repeated over and over yes, and ma'am. over again. Yes, ma'am. I mean, yes, how ma'am. many people have you talked to that started yes, with ma'am. pills and then got pills off the street? I mean, I've talked to so many on this yes, podcast, yes, and eventually ma'am. it was heroin. Oh. Did your sister ever talk to you about what she was going through with all of this? Six months before our sister passed away, we
0: had a couple of very open and honest conversations. Had you ever had conversations like that before? No. No? So I had spent a lot of years being angry at her, demanding that
1: she get help. Yeah, tell me about it. Because as a family member, you see someone doing this, and it seems like so hard to understand. And you're trying everything to get them to stop. Tell me about your anger. Um, I
0: was angry with sister. For many years, I didn't realize how angry I was. And the moment that she died, every anger left. Only way I know how to describe it. I no longer had any anger towards her for anything. At that point, started learning a lot more about addiction. Trying to understand how someone feels when they're going through that. Because I-, I never had a chance to tell her it was okay. That I loved her
1: just the way she was. Of course you loved your sister, and I'm sure she knew that, right? A part of her knew it. But I can see even with my own children, you know, they were angry with their sister because she was causing a lot of turmoil in the family. You know, and as a sibling, you kind of, then you live with that guilt after they die for being angry, right? Yes, Sarah says she was extremely thankful that she did get to have a couple of open and honest conversations with her big sister right before Vanessa died. It's not only helped her understand substance use disorder, but also provides comfort in her grief journey.
0: She always tried to explain to me that this was not she chose. I talked to her a couple of days before she asked. She was actually making an effort to get counseling.
1: She had asked me if I would join her for some counseling sessions. She didn't intend to die. And was it from fentanyl? What happened with her death? She
0: purchased what she thought was heroin, turned out to be fentanyl. She was found in her bathroom
2: by her husband.
1: Besides her husband, Vanessa also left behind children. In fact, all three of the people we interviewed for this podcast had one thing in common. Their loved ones who passed away left behind children. Jenna had three kids and Sean, two. Sean was loving.
0: He loved his kids very much. He was a funny kind of guy. You know, you could be mad at you one minute and happy the next minute. He was a really good kind guy. He adored his children very much.
1: And his children, how are they doing?
0: They are handling the best they could. His son started college two weeks before Sean died, and his son went back to college the very next day. He did not go to bed that night. He went into class the next morning. The teacher thought he had been out partying all night because he looked pretty rough. And my grandson said, my dad died last night. He said, I stayed up all night doing your homework, and I'm in your class today. He finished in three and a half a year, a four-year degree. He just put his grief into his college, graduated magna cum laude. He works for the Department of Forensic. His daughter, not so much, she was nine at the time. I'm trying to give her all the help that I can give them.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of times people don't think about the children left behind in this horrible epidemic that we're in.
0: And I hope that they see what I'm doing and that's an impact on them. And I still live in them all the time. I have banners in my front yard. I have signs in my front yard. I post it all the time and I keep telling them, don't take a pill or don't take any drugs. Don't take anything from anybody. And, you know, that's all
1: I can do is just keep educating them. And that's what I'm trying to do. At Emily's Hope, we believe education is key. That's why we've pioneered a through K-12 substance use prevention curriculum. Our aim is to empower the next generation to make healthy choices through comprehensive, evidence-based, and age-appropriate content. You can find out more information about the program by heading to our website, emilyshopeedu.org. We've also put the details in this podcast show notes. For Karen, she also believes education is the cornerstone in preventing more senseless drug deaths, and that's why she's been open and honest with her grandchildren. I never shielded of them how will happened to her. Because
2: I don't want to happen to them. So I was very open. But you worry. I worry every day about this kid. I don't think I can make it through a medal. And I've talked to a mother today that her, she goes, my son's up there and my grandson up. I don't think myself. That'd be end of me.
1: It really would be. I couldn't go through and, and bearing another child. I feel the same way. Unfortunately, one of the women we interviewed is living with that heartbreaking reality. Sharon lost not only her son, Sean, to fentanyl poisoning, but her other son died from a heart attack last year. How old was your other son?
0: Forty-six.
1: So you've lost two children. Lost my
0: only two children.
1: Your only two kids.
0: But I know that they're in Jesus' hands. I know they're in a better place. I know they're not hurting anymore. And I know this is my mission. I know this is what I'm here for.
1: I feel strongly that that's my mission as well. So we're kindred spirits that way. But I do think that the death of a child can really rock your faith. I mean, it can really challenge things.
2: But you
0: have to be very faithful. I don't want to go into my history, but I've lost a lot of people before that. Mother, brother, sister, father, five, aunts and uncles, all within a couple of years. So my faith, you know, was tested many years ago. And I just, okay. I know I'm going to die, too. Just don't know when, don't know how.
1: So you are pretty much an expert in grief, having lived it.
0: I don't want to do it anymore, but yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: We have a lot of people listen to this podcast. Maybe they just lost someone six months ago, three weeks ago. What advice do you have for other moms, dads, grandparents?
0: First of all, they have to reach out to another grieving parent. That's the only You cannot reach out to a friend that has not lost a child. You have to reach out to another grieving parent. Because only us grieving parents know what the next phase is. There's many phases to grieve, you know, and only us grieving people know it. And I did have a couple of people before me that grieved their children. So they came to me and told me the steps that it's going to be. And they were dead on about it. And they're still there for me. And we do it together. And they still go back to the grief. It's a never-ending, it's like on
1: a spinning wheel. It almost feels like it's your responsibility as a parent who's lost someone When you see another parent lose a child, however they lost that child, doesn't matter if it was from fentanyl or something else. I had parents show up right after Emily died who'd lost someone. And some of my were just acquaintances or I was introduced to them through someone else. But they all showed up, right? And they all were so sympathetic and just were very understanding. And I think they gave me some hope. I had one mom who was about 13 years out and she said, life Will be beautiful and rich again, but it takes time. It does. It takes a lot of time. Are you finding life is beautiful again?
0: Oh, yeah, I am. I mean, today I went to the zoo. I took what was in this weekend. I said, We're going to go do something fun. I'm going to go laugh. I'm going to have a little bit of fun.
1: So it's not all serious about no, fentanyl and no, the problem all and the death and the. Yeah,
0: and I have my grandkids and I love my grandkids and I do things with them. I have my job. Thank God for my job. You know, my job, I get up every day and go to work and I love my job. So, you know, I throw all my stuff into that. My job is helping other people go through their grief because I'm a state cell liquidator. So I help them get rid of their family's items. And I did that because I lost many family members. So I turned my grief into helping others' grief.
1: Well, that's really wonderful. So and
0: I always tell them, it doesn't love you. Items don't love you. It's oh, just a duff, right? It's duff. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. love you.
1: But it's interesting that you're able to use your own perspective from loss and you're doing your daily work that way. That's what I do. Sharon, Sarah, and Karen also stress that sharing their loved ones' stories and advocating for change have been instrumental in their personal grief journeys, allowing them to discover purpose in their pain. I wanted something for Janet she died and to my remember
2: my child. And all these angel parents are the same way. They want justice and they want their kid remembered.
1: And there's not one angel parent I can talk to and will tell and they want their kid remembered and they want justice for. That justice can come in many different forms. Maybe it's a prison sentence for those responsible for dealing the deadly drug, or a new law focused on fentanyl trafficking. But what truly united the hundreds of us at the D.C. rally was our shared goal to put an end to the deadliest drug crisis in U.S. history. You know, there's going to be this rally and this rally will happen and it will be over and everyone will go back to all the places they came from. Do you think that we're going to make a difference or how long is it going to take?
0: Oh, I think it's going to be ongoing forever. I don't think it's ever going to stop because if it's not this, it's going to be something else. I don't think fentanyl is going to ever go away.
1: No, it's like the cat's out of the bag. It, yeah, How do you put it back going to in? It's
0: ever go away. It may subside some, but I don't think it's ever going to go away. And so I think what we're trying to do is leave a legacy for our kids and stuff and to just to make awareness. Right. We have to educate. We have to do that.
1: And that's what it's about. How do you honor Sean today? What do you do in his memory?
0: Well, I wear shirts and I say his name all the time. And, you know, I'm here for the rally, you know, shouting his name. I had banners in my front yard. I had signs in my front yard and I post things daily on it. You know, after the rally, we're not going to stop. We're going to go back home and we're going to make plans for next year's rally. Each year is a little bit different. We're going to learn from each year what not to do and what to do and go back and make it better and better and bigger for each year coming. So it doesn't stop work continues
1: full speed ahead well thank you thank you for talking to me thank you for being here and i'm so sorry for the loss of sean thank you so much, and your other son as well your
0: daughter emily thank you you know so sorry too so sorry we have to meet like this but i know. know it's a blessing
1: i know i always say that when i meet other parents i'm really sorry we're meeting under these circumstances but i'm so glad to know you and i'd like to say thank you To the other two remarkable guests in this podcast, along with you, the listener, I know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you spending precious minutes learning more about substance use disorder and the fentanyl crisis. By raising awareness and decreasing the stigma associated with addiction, we can hopefully prevent more deaths and get those who are suffering the help they need. Please tune in next week as we continue our series of conversations directly from the heart of the Fentanyl Rally in D.C., Hear from a mom who tragically lost her son to fentanyl, but has now found a unique way to help grieving families by creating caricatures of their loved ones. I draw pictures of Jamie, all his angel
0: friends.
1: Pr- and who are his angel friends? he have got like 2,000. <laughs> so just people. And when I met you, we had never met before. And you saw a picture of my daughter, and you said, What?
0: That I, I know her. She's in my pictures. A lot of moms ask me, request, can my child be on your picture? And then there's some that I just see them, and something touches me. And she was so beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah. I just thought, yeah, she's going to be one of my She'd been in them since I saw
1: her. Again, thanks for listening. I'm Angela Kenneke. wishing you faith, hope, and courage. This podcast is produced by Casey Wannenberg-King, and Anna Phi.